0: to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we loosely follow the Come, Follow Me uh, structure that was provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we uh, study the scriptures and search for ways that we can apply them into our daily lives and how we might be able to use the information to bless our lives and the lives of others. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend, Um, had a good time, and and a restful Sabbath. Um, that you're able to find time to worship the Lord and grow closer to Him. I know that taking the sacrament can be a uh, very rejuvenating thing uh, for me, and I I know that it's something that can be uh, very very helpful to prepare for a new week. Speaking of a new week, we have a new set of chapters to read provided by the Come Follow Me outline. And uh yeah we're gonna we're going to jump right into it. So before we get too much further, we better say um, say our prayer and ask that the Lord will, will bless and guide us in this in this endeavor. So let's start off let's do that first. Our dear Father in heaven we come before thee ever so humbly. We know Father that we are. that we fall short of many of the blessings that Thou dost dost bestow upon us. And we understand that without the atonement of Thy Son, that we are unworthy before Thee. And we are grateful, Father, for the patience and the long-suffering Thou hast with us. We are grateful for the blessings that Thou bestows on us each and every day. We are grateful for this new day, wherein we have to labor and we are grateful for the strength and health that we have. Father, please bless us now that as we study these scriptures that we will that our minds and hearts will be open to Thy Spirit and that we will see the the ways in which we can apply these to our lives and the lives of those around us that we might be a blessing to our friends, families, neighbors, and communities. Help us to strive to build the kingdom more diligently, that we might be called thy people. Forgive us of our sins, Father, and help us to be renewed in thy spirit. We pray ever so humbly, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so this week we have uh, we have the book of Amos, and then the, the book of Ob- Obadiah. Are, are the two that we have today, and it looks like all in all it's going to be about ten chapters. So we're going to kind of try and pursue this at about a two chapter a day pace, uh, Monday through Friday. And if you want to go faster, please by all means, you know, read read ahead, st- study it out, talk with your neighbors, talk with anyone who, who's also do, reading them at, at your same pace. This is something that should be should be shared. You know, your, your, your scripture study should be shared with other people. It's not something that should just be read and then stored away and locked away and forgotten. So, um, we're going to start at the beginning. Uh, just like the sound of music says, start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So, Amos chapter 1. Um so, in the beginning we, we get kind of an idea of a little bit who Amos is, kind of the time period he kind of sets us up more than Joel did, and then he starts right into it. so the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake, so if you're like me and have a hard time keeping track of all the dates and all the times and all the people, um, that's where the Old Testament student manual comes in really handy. Right off the beginning, it tells us, okay, Uzziah, he was king when and who else was alive during this time period. And So he says, the, the Hebrew in um, <clears throat> section 8-2, um, it says, the Hebrew name Amos means ber- bearer or burden and refers to the weighty the weighty warning that the Lord commissioned Amos to carry to the kingdom of Israel. Amos was a shepherd in a city called Tekoa, now a hilltop of ancient ruins about six miles south of Bethlehem, away from the normal trade routes. Although small and obscure, Tekoa was strategic enough that Reboam fortified it as a southern city of of defense for Jerusalem. Amos was an alert observer of people and nations, and scholars agree that he was far from being an an untutored rustic, even though he described himself as a simple herdsman. Since the contemporaneous reigns of Judah's Uziah Uzziah and Israel's Jeroboam II are specifically mentioned in the scripture, the ministry of Amos has been estimated to have been about seven hundred and fifty BC. If so, he may he may have been, been contemporary with Isaiah and Hosea. So we're kind of he's kind of in the same time period that we we were just in with um Hosea and maybe Joel, like like we said last last week, we don't really know when Joel, um, when Joel was was preaching for sure. Um, so now we have the time. We have the, the time, kind of who he was a little bit, and he's going to jump right into it. So the Lord, the voice of the Lord came to Amos, and this and he, and he said, the Lord will roar from Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the inhabitants of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Thus saith the Lord, for three, for three transgressions, Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the, the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. So he jumps right in, and he starts off by saying, you know, the Lord will roar, his, his voice and his power will be felt and heard coming out of Zion, and from the midst of of Jerusalem, and he, he starts talking about he's going to go through and start listing off the neighbors of Jerusalem and Israel and Judah, and the, those two kingdoms, and going around and talking about you know this is what this kingdom did, and this is what this kingdom did that was against the, was against God, um, and I'm pretty sure that each and every one of them is a is a transgression that they did against <clears throat> excuse me against the people of Israel or against the people of Judah, against God's chosen people. And so he, he goes through and lists out all these sins. And you know he kind of uses this this interesting literary device for, for three transgressions and for four. Um, if you look into the Old Testament student manual, there's a section on this. Basically what he's saying is, you know, three transgressions was far beyond what was allowable. You, you've already crossed the line, but you haven't just done three, you've done four. You've gone far and beyond what the Lord would already tolerate, and so He's, you know, it's kind of that that same expression. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. I've, you've already done more, or you know, it, it, it's a thousand percent. It, it's just a, it's a hy- hyperbolic way of of explaining. You're way over. You're way over your bounds. It's too. It's almost too. It's too late at this point. You you have gone on for too long in this. So, and then he starts listing out the sins that they've done. And if you want a, a better explanation of what those sins really all entail and where you can kind of find uh, um, where those nations committed those sins, in the Old Testament student manual, there's a, good, there's a table in there that you should look at that breaks it down that says, this is the kingdom, this is what they were said to have done, and this is what it means. Um... And like I said, most of it is just uh, things that they have done, like here, threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. And, I, and so they came in and they they beat up and tormented the people of Gilead, the people of Damascus. And here's the punishment, but I will send a fire into the house of Hazael which shall devour the palaces of ben-hadad i will break also the bar of damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the plain of Avin, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of eden and the people of syria shall go into captivity of unto Kir, saith the lord so he's he's talking about breaking down the governmental structure he's talking about cutting off all the rulers it's it's a it's a serious it's a serious punishment that he's he's setting forth and i'm sure that you know a lot of the Israelites and a lot of the people of Judah were probably thinking, well, good, we, we think that they deserve that. And so then he goes on, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity unto, to deliver them unto Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the places thereof. And I will cut off the inhabitant of Ashdod, and him that holds the sceptre from Ashkelon, and I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. So this one, you know, again talking about cutting off the the rulers, and not even just cutting off the rulers, but he's talking about the the line of the Philistines shall be shall perish. It's going to be the end of this people. They'll be completely destroyed, which is obviously once again a very very serious punishment being told out that God is setting forth and a lot one thing to remember when they talk about Edom Edom was another neighboring city of Israel and Jerusalem that um, they they were um, if we go back <coughs> way early in the, in the Old Testament Jacob's brother Esau um, when they split off he Esau was also called Edom and these are are his people. And so they're, they're distant distant relations to the Israelites and so they should have been friends but as you can see here you know they've been, they're being delivered unto Edom they're being sold into Edom they're being you know Edom was not friendly and they'll be talked about later so another uh, neighbor of Israel and Jerusalem being listed off um, the next one thus saith the Lord for three transgression of Tyrus and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they delivered up the whole captivity of Edom, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire and the wall, on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof. And so this one is much shorter, just fire and destruction. I'm going to destroy the palaces, because remembered not the brotherly covenant. Thus saith the Lord, for the transgressions of Edom, and for four, three, three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with a sword, and it cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire on T- Timon, which, which shall devour the palaces of Bo- Bozrah. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped the women with child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their border, but I will do, kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof with shout with shouting in the day of battle, with with the tempest in the wind in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, saith the Lord. So he's laying out. All, so that's, he's laying out how each one of these kingdoms is going to. Fair and, and the destruction and the the terrible things that await their leaders, um, and their 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 beautiful palaces and, and their wonderful cities, because they're fighting against the people of of God. So God is, is saying, you know, you have come against Israel, you have come against my people, you've come against Judah, and I will not stand for that, because God has to- God has always told the people. His people, I will fight your battles, I will be out there and I will I will deal with these people in mine own due time, if you will remember me. And so he's here, you know, the bill has come due. It's time to, to to pay up. So he's he's coming through and saying, Okay, we're listing off everyone who has wronged you. These people are all going to get it. So we start off in chapter two, just continuing on. Thus saith the Lord, for the three transgressions of Moab and for four. I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because we, he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime, and I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kiroth, and Moab shall die with tumult and shouting, and with the sound of trumpet of the trumpet, and I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. So here, here you know, here it is, he's listed off every all the neighbors and gone around. And I'm sure that the people of Israel and the people of Judah were probably thinking, well, good, you know, well, good. We, we that's that's what they deserve. That's it's it's about time that they they got what they deserved. We you know we're the Lord's chosen people. We you know that's how it should, how it goes. If they didn't want that, well, then they should have they should have not messed with us, you know. I'm sure that there was probably this haughty feeling and this feeling of pride that was starting to to fill them as they were like, okay, you know. And then, but the problem was, Amos. Amos wasn't done yet. He wasn't done. There was more the Lord wanted him to say. There were a few more people that he needed to call out. A couple, to be exact. And because the the wickedness didn't just lie in the neighboring lands. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies cause them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send fire upon Judah and shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. So right there, we're told, Judah, you have despised the law of the Lord. You have despised it. And if you click on the footnote, it takes us, on despised, it takes us to Leviticus 26, 14 through 15, where Moses is talking, and he says, But if ye will not hearken unto me, well, I guess Moses is talking for the Lord, speaking, bringing forth the the Lord's words. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if ye will despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not all, so that you, sorry, open it up a little bit further, because it, I'd like to read a little bit further than what the footnote shows. Let's see, um, if, if you will despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do my, all my commandments, but you will break my covenant, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning og that shall consume the eyes, and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. So the Lord has, has already laid out this, you know, what's what will happen in the law of Moses. And I wouldn't be surprised if Amos in this time uses the word that you know, they have despised the law of the Lord, or the Lord uses this phrase, so to bring that scripture to remembrance. Those that were the were the keepers of the law, or the the priests or the preachers, or the teachers, it, it would hopefully bring that to their, to their memory, that Amos is laying down this charge against them. that The Lord has said, You have despised the law of the Lord. You have committed this sin that's specifically called out in Leviticus, and so you should know what's coming. Terror, fear. You're going to plant your crops, but it won't matter because your enemies will eat. You'll never harvest. The bill has come due for Judah as well. Yes, you are my chosen people, but because you have not made me your chosen Lord, you have gone against the law. And therefore, you will be treated just the same as everyone else. And that is a hard lesson that I think oftentimes we have to learn, is that God is no respecter of persons. Yes, He will do everything he can to bless the righteous and to aid them and to protect them from the wicked. But if the righteous do not remain righteous, then he can do nothing save that which he has done to all the other peoples of the earth. So at this point, Israel might be thinking, see, Judah, this is why we split off because you just don't get it, and we're better than you. But Amos, either figuratively or literally, turns to the people of Israel, and says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishments thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. They pant after the dust of the earth, and the head of the poor, and turn aside the way of the meek, and a man his father will go... A man and his father will go unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. So he's he's calling out the sins of Israel. You took the righteous people who were there with you, and you, you captured them and sold them into bondage for silver. And you took the poor, and you cast them out for a pair of shoes. You, in, in, we'll jump over to the Old Testament student manual, where it talks about the, the dust. Let's see. There it is. In section 8-7, the reasons for the punishments of Judah and Israel differ from those of the punishments of the Gentile nations. No acts were mentioned except for the forsaking of the Lord and turning to wickedness. Israel had been given the law of God, therefore more was expected of them. Panting after the dust of the earth upon the head of the poor refers to the people being general oppressors of the poor, showing them neither justice nor mercy. The idea is that the people long to see the poor in such a state of misery that they threw dust on their heads, a sign of mourning. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're, these people are trying to prolong the misery of the poor, instead of doing things to help or um, building them up in any way. It was, it was simply, no, we think it's, you know, it's funny that you're poor, and we're not going to help you, in and in any, by any means. And this is something that King Benjamin specifically calls out, that we should be helping the poor. That it is our our duty as um, as the covenant people of the Lord, that we should be helping those around us in any way that we possibly can. And then he talks about the, the whoredoms that are going on, about... A man and his father will go unto the same maid, to profane my holy name, and that this is another thing that is called out in um, the law, back in the in the five books of Moses, that a man and his father should never be married or sleep with the same woman, that is that is a, that is a very serious transgression, one because it's it's either adultery. Or its, um, its sexual immorality, on either on either scale, and so because of that, this was a big deal, you know. Amos is Amos is listing out. Okay, you have you have forgotten to take care of the poor. You have forgotten. You sold the righteous. You take anyone around you who is doing who's trying to do their best. And you push them down, or sell them away, and get rid of them, and get them out of your sight. You commit these—you commit adultery and, and sexual whoredoms. And then, at the very end, and then you've turned completely from me, and you—you you go after all these other gods except for me, and you seek after all these other gods. You—you—you you, you go to all these altars and drink their wine and drink and try and gain favor in all these different uh, religious ceremonies. And then God lists out the things that he has done for the people. Yet I destroyed the the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Also I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I I raised up your sons for prophets and your young men for Nazarites. Is not even this? Is it not even thus, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophet, saying, Prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed under you, as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. So he lists out the things that he's done. He said, I. there was a powerful people here, the Amorites, who were considered giants back in, you know, at this time. They were huge. There was no way you could win but I helped you defeat them. I defeated them for you. From the king all the way down to the lowliest soldier, I defeated them for you and cleared out the land. Then I pulled you out of slavery, out of captivity in Egypt. And I, I endured and I was patient with your woes and your struggles through the through the wilderness for forty years, did I suffer you? Till finally I brought you here, and then I raised you up prophets, and I gave you paths wherein which you could become righteous and have spiritual power through the Nazarites. And one of the thing, one of the things we know about Nazarites is they were they were not supposed to drink strong drink. But he says right here, but she gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophet saying, prophesy not. I set up these people to have spiritual power and gave them paths to find that power and to find salvation and to to be leaders and teachers to you. And you told them, you know what, why don't you go on a break? Why don't you go take a vacation? We don't want to hear it. We don't care what the Lord has to say. Why don't you just go away? We'd rather not hear it. Unless, of course, and I think this is often, it doesn't say this here, but I think this is often the case, unless you're going to preach pleasant things to us, then please, we'd like to hear nice things about us. The wicked taketh the truth to be hard. it's important that we never harden our hearts against the truth the real truth and that we strive to always be willing to kneel down and humble ourselves before the lord and in the end he lays out the destruction that will come to israel therefore the flight shall the flight shall perish from the swift and the strong shall not strengthen his force. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow. And he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day. The Lord's telling us, it doesn't matter if you're fast. You're not going to be able to run away from this. It doesn't matter if you're strong. Because no strength, no human strength, can free you from what is coming. It doesn't matter if you're a good archer. You're not going to be able to do to stand your ground and hold your bow this day. It doesn't matter if you have a horse to ride away on. You won't be able to free yourself. And all of you that think you're courageous... In that day, you mighty men, you will run away naked and afraid. But as I've said before, it doesn't matter how fast you are, you won't get away. God is laying out the total captivity of the people of Israel and the people of Judah. They have pushed the Lord beyond his bounds, and he has said, enough. This is a frightening time for these people to begin hearing these things. They've been hearing them we, you know we've been hearing them in the past, but it's because it's contemporary at the same time. For them this is this is one of the first times they're hearing it. They're beginning to hear these these sayings of what's coming. First, Israel will be taken away by the Assyrians. And then will come the other prophets, like Jeremiah, to the people of Judah. And they will plead with them and say, look, it is not too late. As we've learned in Hosea last week, it is not too late. Yes, you're going to have to swallow your pride. Yes, you're going to have to humble yourself before the Lord. And yes, in some cases you will no longer get to live the life that you currently live. You look at the king um, who was who was at the time of Jeremiah, who asked Jeremiah and said, Well what do I have to do to be to not let these people be not, not let the people of Judah be taken captive? And Jeremiah told him, he said, If you don't want the people to be taken captive, give yourself up to the king of Babylon, give yourself up to Nebuchadnezzar and he will take you in and you will be his slave, yes. But he will treat you like any of the other regents that he's captured and he will treat you well and the people will stay free. But that price was too high and so he wouldn't do it and because of it he was killed. Repentance is possible. The Lord is calling out. He lays out the destruction and the terror before us so that we will turn to him. The Lord has a, has a very simple pattern of the way, he, the way he operates. He lays it out in, in Isaiah. Here are the blessings. Here are the glories that await you. If you'll come and you will do the things that you are supposed to, here are the wonderful blessings that await you. If you will come and keep my commandments and make me your God wholeheartedly, this is what awaits. And then when that doesn't get through to us, he switches over to, all right, I've tried. And now if you don't repent and come to me, this is the destruction that waits. All too often, I think we we, we think that the Lord, oh, why why would you do this? Why would the Lord punish us like this? I don't know that the Lord is actively trying to punish us. Maybe he is. I can't say. But I think a big part of it is that I think we underestimate and we don't understand how much he was interfering on our behalf beforehand. Perhaps the Assyrians wanted to come take Israel years before. But because of the righteousness, God would delay them or keep it from the minds of their kings. And now, because they were unrighteous, God could no longer bless them in that manner. He couldn't fight their battles anymore because he was not their God. They were now worshipping all the other gods, other people who surrounded them. And so, God has told us he's a jealous God, and I don't want this to sound like, oh, he's petty by any means, because he's not, but it's just a fun way to think about it, in my mind, that when the armies come, God sits back and says, well, pray to your gods, pray to those those idols, see if those idols of stone and gold and metal that you've made with your own hands, see if they can save you. I want to. I want to save you. I want to come down and to be by your side, to aid you in this battle. But you've told me you don't want me. You've kicked me out. And so you have to do this one on your own. And the people of Israel and the people of Judah quickly learn that their own strength is not enough. And I think that's the application for us here. We must tread the paths of the Lord, as Christ told the apostles. Thou art the vine, and I am the branch. Without me, thou canst do nothing. That's a hard thing to hear sometimes, to hear that without the Lord, there's nothing we can do. We're just scratching in the dust, wasting away our days. But with the Lord, we can do and be so much more. If we will follow him, if we will make him our God. And the thing is to know, we might think, well, yeah, maybe, well, what if I, what if I'm doing that, but I have all of my neighbors around me, I've, I've tried to get through to them. I've tried talking to them about it and they won't Listen. I've tried to, you know, they, they're starting to turn against me and I don't, I, I'm losing friends. And <sighs> maybe you should go back and read the first few chapters of the Book of Mormon. There was someone else who did a very similar thing at this time, back then, it had similar results. Lehi and his family. Lehi tried with all of his might to preach and to bring that into the, the view of the, of the people. And because of that he was spared the destruction. Yes, he had to give up his house and all of his things and he had to make hard choices. and yes, it split his family. But Lehi knew what he was doing and he knew that he, what he was doing was right. He made it the hard choice. He made the sacrifices necessary and in the end he brought about blessings upon blessings upon blessings for generations to come. I testify that as the world grows darker and as these destructions that lay before us swiftly approach that if we will turn to the Lord, if we will stand by the Lord and not waver, and if we need to return, pay the price to return, to come back, to go to the Lord, to say to our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, I need thy help. I need the healing balm of Gilead to be applied to my wounds, that I might be whole once more, that the Lord will take us by the hand, And he will lead us, as all good shepherds do, into the peaceful fields, into the well-watered plain. And as we pay the price to walk with him, whatever that may be, we will grow, we will wax in confidence before the Lord. And we will know that regardless of what's going on in the world, We are where we need to be, and that God is with us, therefore who can be against us? I testify that he lives, that he loves us, and I testify that as we strive to apply these principles to our lives, true peace, true joy will flow into us, and true strength to aid those around us, will come into our lives. I plead with you, don't let these teachings just settle in your heart. Hold them, treasure them, and share them. I I testify that in so doing, new knowledge will be added unto us. God will expound the mysteries of heaven to us, As we do so, I testify of these things ever so humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.